Life's um, a little weird sometimes. Hosting and bandwidth provided by the Blue Box Group. Check them out at bluebox.net. Hey everybody and welcome to episode 60 of The Freelancer Show. This week on our panel we have Ash Dryden. Hello. And I'm Charles Maxwood from devchat.tv. We have a few people out at, I think it's MicroConf. I, I, I should just look it up so I know the name of the conference. But Anyway, they're out in Vegas and I think we might have one or two people at RailsConf or may just have stuff going on today. So it's just the two of us. Sounds good. <laughs> it, it feels like you're filling in for Eric. Aww. Eric can never be replaced. <laughs> Only temporarily, huh? Only temporarily. I'm just I'm just standing up for you, buddy. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> All right. So uh, this week, I was thinking that we could talk about uh, managing projects, both uh, projects, kind of internal projects, I guess, and for clients, client projects. Um, I have to say this is something that I'm really not good at. So I'm hoping that you can impart some wisdom. Oh, I'll do my best. I think I think this is something that a lot of people struggle with. Uh, I don't think that many of us come from a project management or like any kind of management background, really. So it's it's something that's very new that we don't necessarily have the skills for right off the bat. Yeah, but at the same time, I mean, if you've worked for a company um, on a team, you've seen somebody managing the project, what whether they were uh, aware of it or not. Yeah, I I think. I think that working at a couple places has definitely given me an idea of what project management isn't, which might help to kind of steer in the, right, the direction of what project management should be. <laughs> so you're going to give us an anti-definition then? Yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, I've struggled a lot. Um, I think that a, a lot of people have similar complaints about project management styles or like the kind of stereotype of what a project manager is, uh, you know, promising things too soon or promising things without actually running it by the developers or, you know, try, trying to figure out what act, what actual problems are in the project management process instead of just the tools that are involved. Because I've seen that one a lot where, oh, something's not working. Let's just change the project management software that we're using because that must be the problem. <laughs> <laughs> so That's so right. That's it's always the tools. Yeah, so that's definitely not the way that I would go. I, I don't know. I, I'm kind of interested. What are what are you doing for project management right now for software? Uh, so I've used uh, in software projects anyway. Um, I've used uh, Pivotal Tracker. Really, really like Pivotal Tracker. I've looked at Redmine, and I want to get to know it better, mainly because I have people coming to me and asking me to customize it, and so I want to get to know it a little bit better. But uh, for the most part, that's what I'm using. And then for other projects, I've been using Asana lately, which was mentioned on the show by Farnoosh Brock, if you want to go back and look at that. So, so yeah, that's kind of what I've been doing. I've, I've kind of got two different uh, systems, depending on whether it's a software project or not. And the reason that I like one over the other is that Asana is a little more user-friendly. It lets me break things up in, into conceptual chunks where Pivotal Tracker is more focused on user stories. And so it allows me to interact with them a little bit differently and, and, and manage things that way. The The problem that I have is that I, I tend to go days or more at a time before I go back to Asana and look at it again, 
Pivotal Tracker I can't get away from if I'm working on a software project that's using it because that's where I go to get the definition for the next thing that I have to add in. And so since I'm in it all the time, I just deal with it that way. But I found that it doesn't work super well for, uh, for example, products. It, it just doesn't work well for, for that kind of thing for me. Do you use whatever your client is then using? Like, are you in their project management software or are you telling them to be in yours? I usually use whatever they've got, but sometimes they don't know what they want. Sure. A lot of times they don't know what they want. Um, If I'm subcontracting for another development firm, then usually they've got a good rhythm going with whatever system they're using. So unless it's totally painful, I'm usually fine with using whatever it is that they've got. So. Yeah, I tend to I tend to end up using whatever my client is using. And if not, I try to use Pivotal. Not all clients, kind of depending on the kind of client they are, get Pivotal Tracker. And I find that the best project management software is the one that they'll actually use. Because if they're going to just email me everything anyway or call me every 20 minutes anyway, then it doesn't really matter. Yeah, I agree. If you can get them to use the tool and interact well with the tool, then absolutely. Because it's it's a device for communication. And if you if they're not using it, then they're not communicating. So Right. And I think that's a big part of project management too, is you know, making sure that you're on the same page and can use the same tools and can speak the same language so you're conveying the same message. Yeah, but the other thing is is a lot of these systems they give you a way of adding comments or Um, asking questions, and so you can get clarification through the tool as well. Yep. But the the tool is just a facilitator. I mean, the the problems that I usually run into with managing projects is I I, I tend to get enough information to, you know, kind of get a gut feel for for what's going on, and then I can can, uh, tell them lies. In other words, I can estimate about how long it's going to take. And uh, usually I'm, I'm pretty close overall even though I'm not necessarily always close on all of the estimates for each feature. But what winds up happening is as I move along through the project, I run into stuff that I need more clarification on. And so uh, that that's that's where my project management skills kind of fall apart is I don't get enough information up front. What do you think could help that? Like, do you, um, do you do much discovery now? Discovery, like, up front when I get a new client? Yeah not as much as I probably should. Um, I just get enough information to understand what the product should do, understand what the, the basic feature set is, but I don't, I don't go into like the nitty gritty details of each feature. So. Gotcha. It, I, I'm, I think that uh, I, I can speak for most people when I say that I really don't like estimating and it, it kind of makes me anxious about making sure that I have at least as much time as I think that I will need on, on the max side without all the numbers being so huge that the client's eyes kind of get all wobbly. Um, so doing the discovery up front kind of helps me rein that into reality a little bit more. Uh, so that, I think that helps, it helps me feel less anxious and also helps the client have a better understanding of exactly where their application is before things get started. So how far down the hole do you go before, you know, you've kind of gone too far? Cause some of my clients, I mean, you could do discovery for months before you actually start in code. Yeah, I think it depends. 
there are some that, you know, I can do a day's worth of discovery and it's enough and others need far more than that. I think it, it really depends on how much stuff I'm going to be touching. So I try and get an idea of what they actually want me to accomplish with, you know, whatever project I'm working on before I go in to do the discovery. So I can kind of map out what I think I'll have to do and then go in and look and see what the code actually looks like to see if that is anywhere near where my expectations were. But yeah, it's hard. It's hard to figure out how long discovery will take. Yeah. I mean, it's it's not a terrible thing to not have all that information because usually I just send them an email. Hey, so, uh, you know, I, I started working on this and I realized that we need to clarify this point. You know, here's what I think. Here are the trade-offs. You know, let them make the decision. Um, I usually also hand them a default decision that's just kind of like, well, if I don't hear from you in a couple of days, this is the direction I'm going to go. And then I'll just move on to another user story if it's available. So I am i don't actually get downtime out of it, you know, where I'm like, I just wish I could move ahead with this project. You know, I just pick another feature and start working on that in another branch in Git. But sometimes I feel like I'm emailing them all the time trying to get the, that kind of clarification and I, you know, so then I wonder, well, is there something I could have done better to get this information up front? Yeah, I, I think part of it is setting the expectation for how quickly you expect them to respond to you, especially if they have an idea of how long it should take you to respond to them if they send, you know, an email with concerns. I have written in my contract that like to keep things moving, I, I expect there to be a 24, 24 hour, 48 hour, depending on the client turnaround time. Because otherwise, it it hinders my ability to be able to work on their stuff. And I don't have time for the downtime because a lot of times I have a client that's booked right after them. So if we don't keep things moving, then they'll end up suffering. Mm -hmm. Now, do you try and implement any ideas out of Agile uh, methodologies or do you just kind of go with the flow? It depends. Some of my clients, I'm kind of the lone developer on the project and other times I'm working with another team uh, or like an internal team. So it depends on kind of what they have set up. If it's just me, I definitely do. Uh, and other times, because I'm working with, you know, five or six other developers, I really have to kind of work with w within whatever system they have already established. Okay. So, so what elements of Agile do you pull in in your... Uh in your workflow or your, you know, as you manage a project? I definitely tried to break things down into um, like discrete sprints. All of my like work orders, I guess you would describe them as, are broken down into logical sprints that one flows into the next one. Um, so in almost all cases, things have to be done in a certain order just for things to kind of keep moving. And uh, definitely go back um, every couple of weeks. I meet with the client to make sure that this is where we expected to be. That you know, this is this is what uh, they actually wanted. Because that's that's a big thing too. Because I'm remote, uh, I don't have the ability to have as many as much context as I think uh, in-person developers get. Uh, I don't have all the meetings. I don't have you know the walking by the cubicle and somebody giving me another requirement. Um, you know, right <laughs> in the middle of the day. Um, so I, I don't get as much context as um, as the other developers do. So it's important to go back and, and actually verify that, okay, we're on the right track before we move on to the next sprint. Hmm. Yeah, I, I I think I really need to be doing that, though. 
depending on the client, sometimes they're, you know, they don't care. They just, you know, just march down the path until you're done. But I, I do like having that I that idea of like a discrete set of I, I'm going to get this done and then I'm going to get this done and 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 being able to just work through it. I think it too, it gives them a good idea that, you know, I let them know that I, I would really prefer the requirements not change once work is started on whatever like sprint. So they know that this sprint is set to get started three weeks from now. So any information that I need on that, they need to get me by that time. Uh, so it kind of gives them a deadline too, to make sure that they're getting me all of the information that I need or that, you know, they make sure that a developer that's supposed to be working with me on that will be free during that time, that if there's going to be any in any emergencies, they have somebody else that'll be working on those. How do you work right now? Do you, um, if you're not doing sprints and stuff? I just pick a story and work on it and then pick up the next story and work on it. And I email them, let them, let them know when I uh, push new stuff out to wherever we're staging things at. And if I get feedback, then I incorporate that. And if I don't, then sometimes I press for it if I'm really worried about the feature. Otherwise, I just, uh, you know, I'll basically say, if I don't hear from you within a week, then I'm going to assume everything's okay. And I'll just keep moving ahead the way I am. And uh, what I found is that most of my clients are busy people and, you know, they they don't respond. And and that's kind of unfortunate because I really want to make sure that they have a look at it and that I'm giving them what they want. But, uh, you know, I'm not really sure how to press them for that. And I think if there were like a, an actual sprint structure and I said, hey, we're going to sit down every week or every two weeks, however long the sprint is, or, you know, whenever I get this chunk of work done, then, uh, you know, we're going to walk through it. I'm going to show you what I've done and then you can move ahead from there, you know, as far as, okay, these are the next steps now, not this, then um, yeah, I could get better results. But Maybe I, it would help them too if, if you know, if you knew that a sprint was going to last you a week or two weeks and you could plan that far mm-hmm. in advance for a meeting, that could kind of alleviate some of the, you know, um, dealing with their busy schedule and just kind of waiting for them to get to the bottom of their email pile. Yeah. And, and the thing is, is that I've never had any client that was upset about the work I did or, you know, they, they felt like I just went ahead and did what I wanted. I, I haven't. I haven't encountered any of that, but uh, at the same time, you know, I, I really want to make sure I'm giving them what they what they ask for and and giving them the value that they expect and more. And so that that's why I'm concerned about the communication. I've never had it come back around and bite me, but yeah. I, I'm concerned about it. So yeah, I think um, my biggest concern and the reason I do things this way is I have um, just kind of went off and done a ton of work and then gone back to them and realized that I probably could have done 10 hours less work than I actually did because I was assuming something that wasn't true or they kind of changed their minds and would have been fine with like the minimum delivery of whatever the feature was. Yeah, exactly. And and that's what it boils down for me too, is that, I mean, 10 hours is, is a bit of money and you know, if, if I can spend that 10 hours doing something else that's more valuable, then, then that's where I want to spend my time. Now, how do you bill for project management time? Like, do you build that into um, each feature or is that a separate thing that you keep track of? So I use Harvest and Harvest by default adds in project management and admin as tasks. 
So you can just bill time against it. Most of my project management time, if I'm billing it, is usually meetings uh, more than anything else. Um, you can kind of count that as admin time too if we're just you know talking about how we're going to manage the contract uh, itself moving forward. But most of the time we're talking about features and we're doing project management stuff. And so I'll just, I just choose that task on my timer and uh, time it that way. So, I, you know, I just bill for it hourly. Sometimes though, if I'm doing like subcontracting and stuff and I'm spending time doing project management and I feel like this is time that I wouldn't have to spend if I were just doing the work, then sometimes I'll just comp the time. But uh, most of the time I bill them for it. And it's because it's it's time that I would have had to spend anyway. But if I'm doing project management stuff aimed at the subcontractor and not at the client, then that that's the time that sometimes gets comped. Gotcha. Do you estimate, uh, give an estimate for project management time? Uh, not usually. And I don't usually work it into overall estimates either, which is something that I need to consider. Gotcha. I've been over the past like five years trying to find the perfect formula for, for what I should estimate for project management because every client is different. Like some clients need more contact or some clients send a lot more emails than other ones. And it's hard to know what that amount of time is going to be until you're actually working with the client. Yeah, I was going to say basically the same thing when you were saying you were looking for that magic formula is that, I mean, some clients... They come, they give me a list of features. I don't really talk to them for a while. And then they come back when I say I'm done. They have a look. Yeah, it looks great. And that's it. So my my project management there is almost nothing. And then I have other clients where I'm talking to them like every day. And so in that case, you know, there's a huge overhead for project management. And so, um, you know, sometimes uh, during the discovery process, you know, where I'm actually like, getting the details and making the sale and doing the estimates and stuff, I kind of get an idea for how much, uh, how much I need to keep in touch with them and, and, you know, how much I need to manage things to keep the project on task and things like that. And so then if I feel like it's a lot, then I, I I might make a judgment call and and say, Hey, you know, we're probably going to spend a little bit of time, you know, clarifying some of this stuff. And and the other thing is, is I also work some of it in, in the sense that when I'm estimating a feature, if I'm not confident in my kind of initial estimate, then a lot of times I'll add stuff in. And, you know, technically I'm not thinking, gee, this is project management time, but usually it is because I'm going to be clarifying the story as I move ahead. Yeah. And so, you know, I added in for uncertainty is what I'm thinking, but ultimately... You know, it just boils down to, you know, there's some overhead here because I need clarification and that's part of managing the project. So the other one I wanted to get into, and I know you have uh, several kind of extracurricular activities, I guess I'd call them. Uh, <laughs> and and I do too, you know, things that I'm working on that are not uh, client facing. So, uh, you know, I have I have courses, I have products that I'm working on. I'm probably going to be writing a book or two over the next uh, year or so. I know you're working on a book and you've got uh, several other things where you're speaking and things like that. Um, how do you manage your your internal projects? You know, I don't really keep track of anything with my internal projects. And I'm, I know that a lot of people do. And I, I guess I'm not entirely sure why I would. Do you keep track of stuff for internal projects? 
so I know that Eric, for example, he actually tracks his time for his internal stuff. Um, I don't. I'm kind of on the fence as to whether or not I really care enough to do it. And and I think that's really, for me, when it boils down to whether or not you should. And so, for example, you know, Eric, he, he sits down and he kind of audits that and pays attention to it. And it, you know, it means something to him and helps him have balance. For me, I, I'd probably track it and never look at it again. So if I'm doing that, then I'm not sure I care. So for the most part, I, I don't track the time. However, I do use a to-do list, like I said before. And so I'll just put tasks in there of things that I need to get done. And then as I get them done, then I check them off. I get this sense of fulfillment. I pat myself on the back and then I go after something else. <laughs> yeah, I definitely I definitely keep track of, uh, I have different to-do lists for each of my little internal projects, but I don't. I, I don't keep track of time, and I think part of that is that they're more passion projects, so mm-hmm. I don't know that I want to, like, see the amount of time, just because I think that somewhere in my brain it would kind of cheapen the 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 worth that I feel it has. You know, it's something that I really enjoy doing. Like, I, I don't keep track of the amount of hours that I ride my bike because, you know... It, it would either make me feel sad that I'm not riding my bike enough or it, I would look at the number of hours and be like, man, I should really ride my bike less so I can do other things. So I, I think that with certain things, it makes sense not to keep track of time specifically. But yeah, definitely being able to to make sure that you're still meeting any goals that you set up for yourself. Like I, I try and um, write at, at least a chapter of a book every week or every two weeks. So that's kind of a milestone that I set for myself. But outside of that, I really don't track anything. Yeah. Yeah, I'm kind of in the same boat. I, I don't keep track of it. I just, I have my to-do list. Though, um, I mentioned Asana, what I what I did, uh, this, was it this morning? I think it was last night. I actually wrote up on my whiteboard. I remember doing it. I don't remember when it was. But uh, I wrote up on my whiteboard all the projects I have and all the all all of the kind of next steps for those, just to kind of get it out of my head and and kind of you know free up some of that mental energy that I'm spending worrying about it. And uh, so now I'm looking at it and going, okay, which of these can I just knock out? And uh, and so it's been kind of nice to just say, okay, well I'm gonna I'm gonna zap that one today. You know, hopefully I can I can get the one that I want to get done today. I'm probably going to actually just focus on one each week and see if I can get get it done, get it gone. If I could do that, then I'll be in pretty good shape by the end of the month, I think, as far as some of these other projects and products go. And really, it also helps me kind of get my head into the space of where do I want to go next? So, you know, how much how much of my income do I need to have coming in from the consulting versus um, how much time do I want to spend on things like the podcasting and um, some of these other things that I'm really passionate about? You know, some of the training pro- products, I'm not doing them because they make money. Well, I am doing them because they make money, but I'm doing them because I really like interacting with people that way as kind of a mentor. And so figuring all that out is, I think it, I think it's really good for me and I, I really enjoy it. And so, you know, just finding that balance and saying, looking at some of the stuff and thinking, okay, how do I make this work? How do I make it so I can spend more time doing the stuff I really enjoy and less time doing the stuff that I really don't enjoy or enjoy less? Yeah, that makes sense. Kind of minimizing the pain points. 
Yeah. Well, I've minimized a lot of them away by outsourcing them. Right. So like editing audio, you would think as a podcaster, I enjoy doing that. I really don't. So I've outsourced that. Uh, Mandy takes care of that for me. Bookkeeping and stuff like that, you know, same kind of thing. But, uh, you know, now it's down to, okay, you know, this is kind of the skilled work that people want me to do. And how do I, how do I balance that? You know, what, what kind of projects am I taking on? Do I really enjoy them? Are they really worth pursuing? You know, what about these other projects that are not client projects? You know, how, how important are they? How much time do I want to commit to them? That kind of thing. So, yeah. Yeah. And they're, they're not easy questions to answer. And in fact, I've actually uh, started um, kind of forming an informal, I, I don't know what to call them. It, it's almost like a board of advisors. And it's just, it's just a collection of people that I kind of go, Hey, this is what I'm thinking, you know, and I get feedback. So I, I mean, we talked for a half hour before the show about some of this stuff and, you know, I got a lot of good feedback from you. And, uh, you know, sometimes I bounce some of this stuff uh, off of Eric or Evan. Um, and then I have a few other people out there that I participate in some of this stuff with, including an actual mastermind group that I meet with, uh, two times a month. So, you know, it, it's not just a matter of, I guess we're kind of getting into the meta <laughs> project management because, you know, this is actually managing your projects, your list of projects, as opposed to managing the tasks inside of a project. But, um, you know, just figuring out where the priorities are. And, you know, it's nice to have a few people look at me and go, you can't do all six of those at once. So which one are you going to focus on? Which one is important? which one is most important and uh, then helping give me ideas on how I can get that focus, how I can get stuff done, things like that. It, it, it really does uh, pay off in a big way and it, it really helps me get where I want to go. So. Yeah, that's something that I really struggle with. I actually have a markdown file that sits on my desktop that is just a list of all the projects that I want to one day do because I feel like if I don't get them out in like exquisite detail that they sprout in my brain that I have to do them right then. Like I have to, I have to drop everything that I'm doing and actually do it. And it's really hard for me to kind of keep that focus on one or two projects at a time to, to get done what, uh, whatever those projects are, because I start getting impatient that they're not being completed or I completely lose focus and stop caring about them. So so knowing that about myself, I, that's why I try to keep so few projects going at once. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I like the idea of having a place where you can go and kind of take your idea and kind of completely dump it all there so that, you know, it's, it's somewhere where, you know, you can come back to it and then you don't have to, you don't have to worry about it. It's just kind of, you know, out there for when you want to come back around to it or when you're ready to work on it. Yep. I'm trying to remember what they called that. Uh, getting things done. Yeah, getting things done talks <laughs> about it, but it's uh, it's your uh, exo something. I don't remember. Anyway, there's a term for that where it's basically a place for you to get this stuff out of your head. Yeah, that's that's a really uh, hard thing for me to not do, especially like yesterday. I had lunch with somebody. And it was an amazing meeting. And I I happened to have left my phone at home, and that's usually where I take notes. And I. I uh, he said a couple things that really struck me as really deep and and like amazingly philosophical. And I tried to think of them walking like the mile and a half back to my office. And by the time I got back to the office, they were gone. 
<laughs> so yeah. like the entire day I was racking my brain trying to remember what he said. And I feel like it was such a lost opportunity to, to get that information and to get it down so I could use it for something in the future. But yeah, I, I know that because I, I, I flit from things uh, to other things so quickly that I need to get that stuff down and out of my head as soon as possible. Yeah, I'm the same way. I mean, go look at my GitHub account. I have like 80 projects on there that are public, but I, I think one or two might actually be usable. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I do the same thing and and I really do need to, you know, do more of that where it's like, okay, this is, this is my grand idea and I'm going to write it down because they always sound like terrific ideas at the time. And then I spend a day or two working on them and then it's like, oh, I need to get back to these other things because they're more important. And if, if I would just write them down and say, okay, I'll come back to it when I'm done with this other important thing, I could save myself a day or two. And then when those things do come up to the top of the list, where it's like, okay, this is the next most important or interesting thing that I want to work on, then I can take the opportunity. So I, I'm a little curious because I, I keep thinking I want to write a book. And, uh, well, the Ruby Rogues are going to be writing a book. But uh, what's kind of your workflow for writing a book? Oh, I'm totally the wrong person to ask. So <laughs> I'm actually working on two books. Um, one is a lot more visible right now. But um, what I've been doing is just gathering a bunch of information, both anecdotal and like actual research and categorizing it into basically different chapters. And then I totally have ADD. I just kind of bounce around and write a paragraph or two as I think of them for each section. And I'm trying to force myself to focus on writing one chapter at a time, just because I can kind of focus a lot more of my thoughts and I'm a lot more aware of like when I see related information come across Twitter or, you know, somebody emails me something that, it, you know, it's something that I can pull data out of. But I, I, I kind of use it as long form blog posts. So I write blog posts a lot, really long blog posts, unfortunately. Um, and I, I kind of just look at it as a collection of blog posts that I'm writing. Um, so I kind of do the same thing where I, I have kind of a mental outline of the things that I want to cover and then just fill in as I think of things. Huh. It doesn't seem very organized to the outside viewer. I can tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> but it's very, it's very haphazard. Um, but it, it really works for me because I feel like uh, for the books that I'm writing, the information is so scattered and it's so diverse in so many different places that it's sometimes hard to see a thread that pulls through them until everything gets pulled together. Yeah, that makes sense. And and my video projects tend to be the same way. You would think that they uh, would all tie together real nicely, but like this, the Rails ramp-up course... I mean, I'm I'm getting rave reviews from the people who are in it, but each video is is very different from each from the other ones. Even though a lot of the stuff builds upon itself in order to build a Rails app, and uh, yeah, so it's like this this in depth study of whatever the topic is, and then you know, if if you watched all eight videos, you'd be like, so each video is just kind of off on its own, doing its own thing, and I can see how they all tie together, but yeah. And I, th I think part of the problem uh, for me is that I never write linearly just because there are some sections that I maybe know a lot more about uh, right away and I don't necessarily need to do a ton of research or need to think a lot on 
Um, so some sections, maybe closer to the end, will be really well fleshed out. And then I'll end up like working my way backwards and jumping back and forth and reading it and then rewriting it. So I, I think that for people who write or, you know, record or whatever they're doing in a linear fashion, it maybe makes it easier to make things tie together a little bit better. Uh, and that's something that I definitely need to work on in the coming months is to to be more focused about doing things in a certain order. But I don't know, certain things just, you know, certain things, certain categories are just really shiny and I have to go and write about them right away before I get to other ones. Yeah, I totally get it. And then I have to say that my, my brain doesn't work linearly all the time either. So it, it really does kind of move from one uh, one thing to the next and, and not, not necessarily in a progression that anyone else would be able to follow. And so, you know, when you kind of hit that, place for whatever it is you're thinking about or working on, you know, then you can kind of expand that one area and then come back and fill in the gaps. Yep. And I think just as long as you make sure that you're hitting all of the areas, it's okay. It's, it's definitely easy. I've definitely written things before where I divided it into categories that made sense and put them in the right order and then kind of wrote in my out of order style that I write and then read through it and realize that there's nothing that transitions easily from one section to the next. So I, I, or I have something that's completely missing, you know, some, uh, some perspective that's completely missing that I hadn't thought about before actually reading it in a linear fashion. Yeah. It makes sense. So are there any other kinds of projects that you manage, you know, client side or not that we haven't talked about or any aspects of, of managing this that we haven't gone over that you want to share your deep wisdom on? <laughs> um, I don't know. I, I, project management, I would say, isn't my forte and it's not my favorite thing. We were kind of talking about this pre-show. It's probably next to estimating. It's my least favorite thing to do, especially if it comes down to managing other people because you have to hold so much stuff in your brain at once. And because I'm so much less linear as far as my work goes than most people, it's kind of difficult to deal with that. So I don't know. I, I kind of prefer when a client has a project manager and I'm working with working with them and they're organizing all of the big picture stuff and I can focus on the super tiny stuff. You you say that, but I've worked with some clients whose project managers made things harder, not easier. But Oh, uh, sure. I've but, been in that position too. <laughs> but yeah, for the, for the most part, I mean, if they're good, then yeah, they make your, your job really easy because all you really have to do is look at something and you immediately know what you're supposed to do. Right. And I mean, if, if you think about it, it's kind of like a project guide, like somebody is walking you from place to place and they're like, okay, this is what you're doing right now. And I kind of, I kind of like that because it helps me to not have to think about the big picture and not in the, like, not thinking about the entire project, but I, I don't have to be thinking about what every other developer is working on or, you know, how that's fitting in specifically into what I'm working on. So if they're worrying about that instead of me, that means that I can focus on what I'm supposed to be doing and, and making what I making my section of it as good as it can be versus kind of worrying and having to like jump over and make sure that everything over there is doing okay. Mm -hmm. Yep. All right. Well, I don't know if I have anything else to uh, add or talk about. So let's go ahead and do the picks. Sounds good. You got some picks? Yeah, I've got two. Um, one of them is a National Geographic Tumblr. Uh, it's all these neat pictures and 
stories from tons of different National Geographic magazines over the course of however many years they've been around. That's that's really neat. The one that kind of pulled me in was uh, there's this boy who's, I don't know, eight, and he's sitting between two lobsters that are as large as he is. <laughs> oh, wow. So that, that was pretty interesting. Uh, so that's my first one. That one's uh, Nat Geo Found on Tumblr. And then my second one is a friend of mine, uh, Elise Worthy, is raising money to be able to travel to Scottish RubyConf and Nordic RubyConf. She got accepted to speak at both. And um, she's kind of on a, a sabbatical from programming in general uh, for her health for the next six months. So she's looking for help to fund um, going over to speak at these conferences. So I'll, I'll put the link in the notes for that. But she's looking for about $1,500 to be able to afford the flights and, and eating and, and staying somewhere. Cool. Yeah, I like Elise. She actually uh, she hosted the Ruby Newbie episode of Ruby Rogues. So Yeah, that's, uh, that's how I actually first heard of her and, and have been a big fan of hers ever since. So Yeah. Yeah, she's, she's smart and funny and awesome. So... Yeah, if, if we can help her out, I'm I'm all for it. All right. Well, um my picks. So my first pick is um I was looking around for uh an audio player because I've been working on devchat.tv, which is the the podcast network that I'm putting together for uh the four shows that I currently do, and I've had some interest from some other shows as far as joining the network um and adding their terrific content to what we already do here. And I found this one, it's called Media Element, and I'll put a link to it in the show notes. It's an HTML5 uh, JavaScript player, and it falls back to Flash or Silverlight, depending on which uh, browser you're in. And that's important because what you run into is that not all browsers support MP3s. And so my options would have been to basically support MP3s and AUG formats and WebM and there was one other that uh, the different browsers, different browsers support in different ways. And I really don't want to create this workflow so that it's six different audio formats. And so for one, I want to just be able to play it on the website. And the other is, is that I want to just be able to put it out in MP3 and have everybody okay with it. And uh, so far I haven't had any complaints, so that's what I'm doing. But uh, I tried JPlayer and it was just acting really weird. It didn't show, for example, if I had a show that was longer than an hour, it wouldn't show the hour. So it would say it was like 15 minutes long or whatever, or three minutes long. Um, other than that, it seemed to work okay. But uh, Media Element just looks a whole lot cleaner and seems to work really, really nicely. So that's one pick. And then I'm pretty sure I've picked it before, but uh, my other pick is Hover, uh, Hover.com. It's my domain registrar of choice. Uh, I've been moving away from GoDaddy for a while. There are just a lot of things that I don't like about them, and I'm not going to enumerate them here. But uh, anyway, uh, I, I'm just I'm really really sick of GoDaddy, and so uh, I started looking for other domain registrars. I looked at Domain.com, I looked at uh, Namecheap, and a few of the others. And uh, Hover is just really really awesome. Their interface is really simple. It's really clean. Um, it's generally pretty easy to do whatever it is you need to do managing your DNS. And so I, I just can't say enough good things about them. So anyway, um, those are my picks and, uh, yeah, hopefully we'll have a few more people back from conferences and stuff next week and we can, uh, tackle some of these other topics. 
Excellent. All right. Well, I guess we're done. <laughs> Sweet.